0: Give a applause for our Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful worship here this morning. If you're new here, I'm Pastor Lucas Cunningham, so glad to have you here. And uh, those who are watching, we welcome you, whether you're in uh, YouTube world or Facebook world or whatever world you're in. According to Mexico, there's some other worlds, some people visited us. So that's interesting, that's interesting. But it has nothing to do with my sermon. Anyway, we're glad you're here. Hey, turn your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 5. We're continuing this, um, this series, Family Matters, and uh, Seven Essentials for Marriage, and we, uh, we ended up getting through two essentials and uh, last week, and we're going to get through this other five, but there's some a couple things I wanted to um, add into this message here this morning, and it's over in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5, and let me get myself turned to it here. Oh, I already am, but... We'll start in verse 15. It says, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you, "'Rejoice in the wife of your youth. "'She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. "'Let her breast satisfy you always. "'May you always be captivated by her love. "'Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman, "'or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? "'For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, "'examining every path he takes. "'An evil man is held captive by his own sins.' And they are the ropes that catch him, catch and hold him. He will die for a lack of self control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for our spouses. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, as we study your word, that we apply it to our lives, that we apply it to our marriages, that marriage was your idea, that you created marriage, you created male, female, Adam, and Eve. And you called them to be fruitful and to multiply. And our marriages matter to you. The way we treat our spouses matter to you. Our reward that we we'll receive in heaven is connected to also to how we will treat our spouse. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when you're working with There's times in which something breaks in your home. Maybe you dropped an item. Um, Maybe it uh, was something you're putting together. Maybe you're putting together a table. You're working with wood. And there's different types of glue, right? You use wood glue specifically for wood. If you really needed super glue to fix an item and you used wood glue instead, it's not going to work you're going to be disappointed. And while there's different types of glue, um, in having the right you know, type of glue is important. Um, by the way, I was doing a little research on glue. Um, the, the strongest glue, the strongest glue, glue is a uh, Dillow or Dillo glue or a- adhesive. And they tested it. It has the world record, and uh, it lifted... 17 and a half tons, this adhesive. And they use it in our smartphones, a little bit of it. But they took three grams, put it on uh, um, this, this um, piece of metal, connected another piece of metal, and lifted 17. That's like six or seven F-150s. I mean, that's, that is, is, is huge of using this, this glue. Now, why am I mentioning this glue? Um, This glue, and I have an example here in a moment, I glued some of these two pages together. As you can imagine, this represents female, male, and um, glued them together. And there's something that God has glued together in the spiritual sense when it comes to marriages. He doesn't use wood glue, he doesn't use super glue, but he uses another type of, we'll say, spiritual glue. And in this passage here, he's giving us a warning He's showing us as well um, a picture of a faithful marriage. And so we see that in the book of Proverbs, which was written from Solomon, who was, the Bible says, one of the wisest men or the wisest man ever to walk the earth. I have some questions with God concerning that. I I believe Solomon was very wise. And he had like 700 wives as well. He said, Well, that's great, preacher. I think I like that. That's 700 mother in laws. <laughs> How wise is that? Now, I love my mother in law. She, she's great. But why take the risk of having another one if you already have a good one? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. In desert lands, though, water was precious. And a well is a family's one of their most important possessions. And so in Old Testament times, to steal water from someone else's well was, was the same case or same repercussions of having um, a relationship with someone else's spouse intimately and in, in a way that was only meant for a husband and wife. And God designed marriage, he sanctified it, and only in this covenant relationship can we find real love and fulfillment. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm single, I haven't found that person yet, or maybe you're not interested. The Bible does talk about the gift of singleness. Maybe that's where you're at. But some of this can apply to some of our other relationships as well. But God does focus a lot on marriages in the Bible, in our relationships. And I don't know who said this originally or who I heard this from, but whenever the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time that you start watering your own lawn. I'm going to say it again. When the grass starts to look greener on the other side of the fence, it's time for you to start watering your own lawn, to invest in your marriage. No marriage is perfect. You're taking two people who come from imperfect parents, even if they're good people, right? My parents, good people, not perfect. Your parents aren't perfect either. And so you came together to make this marriage together, two imperfect people. And sometimes we think in our minds, in a fairy tale land, at least in our minds, that we're going to bring perfection together. Two imperfect people. Two, at times, different ways of thinking about marriage and about life and about money and about relationships. And it's always interesting that first year of marriage of things, some things you just never talked about. You thought you knew them, and then you married them. And you realized you didn't know them as well as what you thought you knew them. And being married going on 21 years, there's a beauty in that. But here in this passage, it's reminding us sex is not to be shared outside of the marriage relationship. To do so is to take something that is simply not yours. And some have looked at marriage as just being a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. Maybe you repeat that because you heard that. Maybe you heard that because you're trying to cover up some hurt in your life. But it's not just a piece of paper. There's something very deeply spiritual about marriage. It's the way God designed it. In fact... There's this word in the Hebrew called akkad. And this is, I'm going to call it, God's glue in marriage. The akkad glue. Now, if you're wondering how to spell that, it's basically spelled E and Chad. So akkad, that's how it's spelled. And In Deuteronomy 6, 4, God said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the word one in Hebrew is akkad. So we even get a kind of a a picture here of the triune God here in Deuteronomy. I'm going to connect this here in just a moment. Of this word, Akkad. It means to be made one. The idea of bringing many parts together to make one in every way possible. So what does it have to do with marriage? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus comes along, God in the flesh, and he upsets the Pharisees, these Jewish Pharisees who did not believe that he truly was the Messiah. And so when he started saying things like in John ten thirty, I and my father are one, why did they get so angry? Because he was making it known very clearly that he was saying that he was one with God in every way possible. And in fact, um, in that next couple of verses, it says they took up stones again to stone him. He's like, why are you trying to stone me? Why are you trying to stone me? And he said, Well, for, for a good work, we're not looking to stone you, but for blasphemy, to them, it was heresy. Then Jesus told them, Before Abraham was, I am. He was telling them he was God. He was connected together through this word, a cod. Now, in the book of Genesis, God created all that he created, he created Adam. Adam names the animals. He sees in the animals, there's a male, there's a female, there's a male, there's a female, there's a male, there's a female. And he goes, God, where's my female? Where's she at? And you have a record in Genesis of the first surgery in the Bible. God did the first surgery. He put Adam to sleep. He took a rib. He made woman. And when he saw her, he said, (laughs) woman. Wow. Whoa, man. You get it? Okay, it's cheesy and she was taken for man now in genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and you can write this down check it out later but it says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one you guessed what that word one is a cod a cod and God created a cod between husband and wife to be one in every way. God invented marriage. It was his idea, it was a gift from him. And so, marriage is more than just a piece of paper in society. Marriage entails a shift of loyalty from your parents, while you still honor them, to your spouse. You're creating a new family, a cod. Marriage is a powerful image of Israel's covenant with God the Father, a cod. God. Marriage is an image of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage is designed to be as inseparable, ex- exclusive relationship between a man, woman, and God. Sometimes people have asked, and you've heard this in different churches, and this is not the subject that does come up. What about, what about those who are married who practice a homosexual lifestyle? is that a legit marriage and the answer simply is no god made and designed marriage not the government not anyone else not your feelings god did not take them into consideration god said what he said and um at the end of the day hey we we love those people we're not here to hate on those people but Scripture's clear: right is right, wrong is wrong. This is where the lines is. The line is, and if you don't like it, you're sinning against the Lord. And so, a cod this a cod—will not be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. It's between a man and a woman. A cod wasn't intended to be undone. So, what happens if it is undone? What happens is as you come together in marriage? Before marriage, you're engaged, right? And they come together, and glue is applied, this akkad. And it's put together. And some of you, unfortunately, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Maybe you're here, and you're divorced. We love you. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe it wasn't your fault. God does forgive, and he does heal. Amen? But some of you experience this. They say going through a divorce is like experiencing a type of death. And I, from what I've gathered... That, that is true. There, there's, a, there's a sense of it. And, um, but even, even if it wasn't divorced and your spouse has passed away, and they're hurting so deeply, how are they hurting so deeply? Now, you might, you might think to yourself, well, that person's been gone for a year, or they've been gone two years. You know they're in heaven. How can you still hurt so much? Like, can you just kind of move on? We'll go, well, no one says that. Why is that? A cod. A cod. And when you see someone go through a divorce and you split it apart, worse through death, and it's a cod that held them so close. Apparently, they really loved each other. <laughs> this was divorce. She definitely got like 75%. <laughs> Not fifty. <clears throat> so, when you come together in marriage, you're taking a part of somebody else with you. And in, in the world that we live in, we've made we've made we've made light of sex. We really have. We've made light of marriage. And the world really wants to kind of preach and teach and through our shows and movies that we have, that's just, as long as it's between two consulting adults, what's the big deal? But it's deeper than that. Because sex is deeply spiritual. 50 years ago, it's been said, that 85% of women, when they end up getting married, were virgins. Today, it is around 5%. I don't know what it is for men it's probably not much better what's interesting is that we have today unfortunately as people live together before marriage and what they're doing is they're practicing marriage they're seeing do we really get along and when things get tough unfortunately sometimes the guy or the the woman gets their bag or their clothes and picks up their toothbrush and they leave and they stop living with that person. And unfortunately what happens is they practice a COD. They've lived with three or four people and they've practiced a COD over and over and it hurts and it's damaging. It's said that if you have more than five partners before you get married, your chances of being happy go down around 30% man. Now you're saying, preacher, you're making me feel guilty. You're making me feel bad here this morning. And listen, that's that's not my goal. That's not my goal because the Lord does restore. He does forgive. He does help. And I'm thankful for the grace and the mercy that he shows all of us. Amen? But if we don't take into consideration the warning of scripture, the guardrails that God has set up It's not that God is um, uh, anti-having relationships. He's saying within the confines of marriage, he calls the marriage bed holy, awesome, good. I mean, he is all for it. He knows the hurt and the pain that when we go outside of that, that it causes and, and what happens in our lives. He sees the danger. And as we saw last week, marriage wasn't so much meant to make you happy, but to make you holy said, well, wait a second. I I want to be happy. But here's the thing. As you pursue God, and you both are pursuing God together in his holiness, you'll find happiness. But man, when you're just trying to focus on happiness alone, and you're putting God to the side, and he's just on the sidelines, and you miss the holiness, you end up with neither. Eventually. That's what happens. That's what happens. And really, really, this glue that God uses in marriage, it's spiritual, it's holy, and it's good. And it's a warning to us that, man, we really, really can't hurt. Ah, oh, but, man, preacher, I, you know, sex is just sex. But is it? Is it? I, I'll give you an example. You take someone who's been a rape victim. Do you sit down with that victim and go, hey, it was just sex? No. You would be an insensitive jerk who needs slapped up beside the head if you were to say something in such a delicate situation. You would never say that. Because we know it was more than just Sex. We know it was just, it was deeper than that. It was spiritual because they were violated in such a way. How is that? How do we know that? We know that. We know that in our soul, that to be the case, that it's deeper. If we don't know the name of it most of the time, we don't know what it is. I can tell you what the name is. It's a cod. They experienced something being ripped away from them. Something they experienced that was so hurtful in their lives. So we know, we know That sex is just deeper than just a piece of paper. That marriage is more than just a piece of paper. That it really is something sacred. It really is something spiritual. And I pray and I hope that as this warning from Scripture showing the importance of a faithful marriage that we realize it's much deeper than we realize. We saw last week that the first point was to commit commit yourself to the Lord, then your spouse. That first is a commitment to your spouse, uh, to the Lord, and then to your spouse. And that as you're committed to the Lord, you will be committed to your spouse. We all see that. We also, uh, number two, was to focus on being the right kind of mate, right kind of spouse in our marriage. It's easy to look at your spouse and go, "Well, he needs to change this, or she needs to change that," and they might need to. But from my experience, trying to make someone change is very difficult. It's very difficult. But the Lord can work in their lives. And as you pray for them, as you pray for them, um, is probably the best answer uh, for that situation. What should you do? Man, that guy just won't change. She won't change. What should you do? Focus on being the right kind of spouse. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to answer for your spouse's actions in your marriage before God. You will stand before the Lord. And I know we live in a world today that loves to blame, cast blame on other people. It could not ever be my fault. It has to be someone else's fault over here or over here. No, no. no. God's, God's going to stand before him and he's going to go, how are you going to answer this? Why didn't you treat your spouse the way the way I called you and clearly directed you in my word to treat him, to treat her. And why, why and you're gonna answer for that. Every one of us, we're gonna answer for it. And here's the third point. And this is based off Colossians chapter 3. In fact, you can turn back over to Colossians chapter 3. That was our base text of last week, and it will continue here today. Colossians 3 and verse 13. It says, make an allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So we should forgive not just our spouse, but other people and other relationships that we have. But forgive, but forgive your spouse. It's been said that forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free, only to realize. You were the prisoner. And when you don't forgive and you hang on to that anger, it turns into bitterness. Hebrew talks about how bitterness or anger turns into bitterness, and bitterness grows roots. And when bitterness grows roots, it stays. When bitterness grows fruit, it tastes bitter. Bitter roots produce bitter fruit. And that's what happens. Forgiveness is essential, not just in our lives as Christians, but in our marriages. You're bringing two imperfect people together. You don't have it all together or all figured out. They need to forgive each other sometimes. Now listen, it's easy to go in arguments in the heat of an argument or a discussion, go, but what about what you did? And you've already talked about it. You've already said you forgave them. You still get may get angry about it, but you have forgiven them. And when you keep bringing up the past that has been forgiven, at least verbally, you've, been talk- you've talked about it, you've worked through it, it's like trying to play a football game without a football. That's what it looks like. No one wants to see that marriage, and that marriage is not going to move forward. You're, no one's going to win. Neither side. You're just going to be there, wondering, what are we doing? You need to forgive. Forgive. Forgive, make allowances for each other's faults. That's what it says. Make an allowance for each other's faults. In other words, don't be completely surprised when you need to forgive your spouse. You need to forgive them. And maybe, you know, you married a Notre Dame fan. A Notre Dame fan married a Ohio State fan. Like, it's probably a little rough this weekend. Maybe you didn't want to get up for church. I don't know, but make allowances. Here's the other one. It's put on love. Put on love. Notice verse 14 and 15. It says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for the members of one body. You are called to live in peace and always be thankful to put on love. You see, falling in love is not the same as being in love. Falling in love is not the same as being in love. Your love, as you grow in your marriage together, it deepens. It changes in a good way. Can it change in a bad way? Sure. But in a good way, it grows, it deepens. And um, if you want to have a bond with your spouse, one that lasts you need to put on love. Notice it says, put on love. Love is a verb. It's not a noun. It, it's a verb. He, God meant it to be a verb in our marriages, to put on love. It's something you have to make a decision to do. But you might go to, your, think to yourself, but she's not being very loving, or he's not being very loving. One of you is not being very loving. What choice do you have to make? Scripture says, put on love. Now we could even use this in a different context. Maybe you're at work, and you got a jerk boss or ju- jerk who is a coworker. And like, what should I do with this person? It says, "Put on love." What relationship do you have that you simply need to put on love? And so, this supernatural love can only be found when we come to know Christ, and in Him, you see, love is a choice. It's a verb, and that as Christians, as we are in Christ. He's called us to love. Now, it's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to love people who agree with you. It is. We like that. But what about loving people when they don't love you back? Jesus said, love your enemies. And that can be tough if you have some enemies. But I don't want to love my enemies. I want to slap my enemies. I want to get Revenge back on my enemies, and Jesus said, nah, I want you to love them. Ooh, I want you to love them. That's tough. That's tough. It's interesting that that's the only religion in the world that says, love your enemies is Christianity. <laughs> Go check it out. It's the only one. It's called us to love, put on love. We see verse 16, it says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach.'" And counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. What is he saying here? Stay in the word. Stay in the word and obey it. You may know the word. You may know the Bible inside and out. But do you apply it? Are you practicing it? So in our marriages, as we stay in the word, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a while. But you've never read the Bible through. Maybe you've never even read the New Testament through. My friend, there is, proof. there's a depth you don't know, a richness that will be added into your life that you're missing out on. And some right now, you're going through life, and life just feels blah. You're not challenging yourself. You're not focusing on what God has for you next. You're not investing in your life, your marriage, or even other people, or yourself. And as you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit that indwells you will speak with you and lead you. Not in an audibly way, but God speaks through His Word. And God uses that. It's called illumination. And as we read the Word of God, it will convict us, it will encourage us, it will at times scold us, man, is it ever good for us. And it will enrich your life. It will challenge you in your life. And it will challenge you in your marriage. Say in the word. Say in the word. Here's number six. Love and respect are keys to a healthy marriage. Turn with me over to Ephesians. You're in Colossians. Just go to the next book over, or two to your left. Galatians, Ephesians there. And you will see in verse or chapter 5, chapter 5. And we see this connected here to this passage in Colossians. Because in Colossians 3, 18, 19, this is what it says, and we're going to connect this here with Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to, the, to those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And notice here in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, we'll start in verse 21. We're going to read a little bit here cuz man this is this is just some good stuff. And further, notice how it starts off with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that this word submit has to do with respect, of respecting one another. So it starts off saying, listen, Husband, wives, respect one another. Submit to one another at a reverence for Christ. It's something you respectful in your marriages that the husband should do for the wife and the wife should do for her husband. And then notice what 22 says. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of, of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so, you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy, clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Let me just stop right there. Some men, unfortunately, will read this and go and just really focus on their wife and go, Listen, the Bible says you need to submit to me. You need to to respect what I have to say. And they come across as unloving jerks. Do you ever see Christ go to us, act this way? No. So men, if that's how you act with your wife, of honey, you need to respect me. You better submit to me. You better kiss the ring, so to speak. You know? and, and that's how you treat your wife. Is that how Christ treats the church? No. And he makes us known. Not just here in verse 25, but again, two or three times in this passage. Husbands, love your wives. Husband, love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. And it's a sacrificial love. So we see first, we're called to respect one another. And then it goes with the headship of symbolically, of the husband represents Christ in the marriage, and the church, uh, the, the wife represents the church in the marriage. And that just as the church respects Christ and submits to the leading and guidance of Christ, and Christ loves us in a way that is loving, and so when the husband is loving his wife the way that Christ loves the church, I've yet to see, unless the woman is just flat-out rebellious against the things of God, that's that's a man she wants to follow. That's a man she wants to see. That's a man that she is proud of. That is a man that she she will be behind the entire time and help in any way that she can help. And husbands, if you really want your wife to submit to you, in other words, respect you in a way that she should, what should you do? Are you going to demand it? No. Are you gonna put her, mean make sure that she has everything right the way you want it right? Like, here's the list, honey. I need one through ten, done. That's some horrible advice, by the way. (laughs) Tried that one. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't try it. it. (laughs) That's a joke, I didn't try it. But husbands, when you love your wife the way Christ loves the church. That wife of you is gonna love you in the way that you need to be loved. You see, men's, men, the way they feel loved is when they're respected by their wife. Why do men fight between men usually? It's not because the other man's like, you don't love me anymore. Like, that's not, <laughs> thought we were good, man. No, there was a respect issue. That's why men fight. That's why men fight. Men highly value respect. We may not like each other, but if we respect one another, I can deal with that man. Respect's so important. In this book by Dr. Dr. Egridge, Love and Respect is the name of the book, I highly recommend it. If you're single, or if you're just getting married, or even if you've been married for a long time, that's the first marriage book I would recommend to read. Before you read Five Love Languages and some of the other books, and there's other great books, but I like that book. Why? Because it's based off this passage right here, Ephesians 5. Now, before I explain what's in his book, I want to read the rest of this passage. I got kind of off course here a little bit. And so he did this to present... Her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any kind of blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as, as they love their own bodies. So again, we're men, we're challenged to love our wives just as you love your own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Ooh. Men, if you don't love your wife, like Christ expects you to love your wife, you don't even love you. That's what he's saying. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of His body. And as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. What is that? A cod. And this is a great mystery, but it is a illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, I, so again, I say. Each man must love his... I told you it was in here three times. I think God wanted to make it clear to us men. Men, love your wife. Love your wife. Love your wife. Love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. This is what happens in marriages. In this crazy cycle is what they call it. Is it. Like whoever starts it, maybe it's the wife who starts it, maybe it's the husband. But maybe the wife isn't feeling loved by her husband, so she acts in a way that is not respectful to her husband. The husband sees and feels the disrespect. Maybe he's passive-aggressive, maybe he is aggressive, I don't know, but he acts in, in a way that is unloving towards his wife. Maybe this is in a short period of time. Maybe this has been going on for months. Maybe it's been going on for years, and you're just in this continual cycle. You'll get along for a little bit, but then someone does something to you, and it just starts the crazy cycle all over again. So the husband acts in a way that's not loving to his wife and the wife doesn't feel love, so he acts in a way that's not respectful, and then he doesn't feel the oh, respect from his wife, and he acts in a way that's not loving, and it just goes round and round and round and round. And when you've seen that maybe in your parents, and you come into your own marriage, and then the same thing just continues, and man, you, you see that in couples that if they have a Their parents were divorced, and they saw something that was crazy and not Christ-like. They take that into their marriage because of expectations in their marriages, and that's why it's important to get some pre-marriage counseling, right? We all need that. I think it's good. And sometimes maybe even our own marriages, we need counseling. We need help. We need to enrich it. We need to help it. And you're in that crazy cycle right now. So preacher, how do I get out of it? Once again, you can't help the actions of your spouse. But God will hold you responsible for your actions. So if you're a wife, what should you do to get out of this crazy cycle? If your husband just keeps on being unloving and it's not right, and you're right, what should you do? Show him respect. To preach it, that's really hard. I didn't say it would be easy. I didn't say you wouldn't mess it up from time to time. God shows us Grace. Maybe you're on the other end, you're a man, you're like, my wife just never shows any respect. She's always making fun of me behind my back or in front of other people or saying things that are just dishonoring, maybe bringing up stories that just make me look dumb and stupid in front of other people. what do I do, preacher? Love your wife. And sure, there may be some things that you probably obviously need to talk through and work through, but ultimately... You can narrow down most marriage issues into this crazy cycle. And as I've counseled people through the years, at the end of the day, the number one thing that destroys marriages is pride. Pride. It's, oh, I'm not going to change. Do you know what he did? Preacher, do you know what she said? Do you know how she treated me? Do- What's the issue? You're too prideful to submit to Christ, and when you submit to Christ, you will submit one to another, and you will show the love and respect that you need in your marriage. But if you don't, and you're not willing to humble yourself before the Lord and before your spouse, your marriage is not going to heal. and It may take some time, and as you do the right things, the right actions, eventually the right feelings will come. There's times in which we may have to make a choice of even when we do not feel like it. And we live in a society that's all about our feelings, do what you feel. That's what children do. That's what children do. And while feelings shouldn't be ignored, feelings are indicators. It should never be a dictator in your life. When we have a society going, your feelings should dictate what you do. And that's horrible advice. That's up there with just follow your heart. You know, some of you end up being Michigan fans because of that advice. And so- <laughs> Sometimes we have to look at the facts of God's word and go, you know what? God said it. I believe it. I'm going to do it. And eventually, those feelings will work themselves out. Here's the last point, and I'll finish this up. Last point is that your reward in heaven, your reward in heaven, the way you treat your spouse matters to God, and it affects your reward in heaven. Notice verse 23 here in Colossians, and we'll, we'll wrap this up here for us here this morning. In verse 23, and this also goes with how we treat other people as well. It says, work willingly in whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that your master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done, for God has no favorites he has no favorites and so church we see biblically that the way we treat our spouse men in fact first peter 3 7 says men if you don't treat that wife the way god expects you to treat that wife your prayers will be hindered think about that for a moment in the spiritual realm Men, our prayers can be hindered by the way we treat that wife of ours. I could go on, because this subject is so good, and there's so much we need to learn out of God's Word, and there's so much more from dealing with and looking at what a Proverbs 31 woman looks like. When you read through a Proverbs 31 and her characteristics of her, she is a woman who um, works, works, She is a woman who is helpful. She is a woman that cares about her husband's name being respected at the city gates. Proverbs warns that a foolish woman tears down her own home. But at the end of the day, we submit out of reverence to Christ. We submit not because they deserve it, not because it'll make you feel good, but we submit and we honor and we love our spouse because we are committed to Christ. Now, maybe you're here and you're a passive man, typically, and your wife is more domineering in, 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 in your marriage. Maybe there are certain things she's better at than you. That's fine. But if you're a passive man, it's time to step up into your godly calling. If you're a boastful man or an overpowering man, it's time that you learn meekness meekness, of not losing your strength, of not losing uh, the ability, but to control your godly calling. God has called you men. Ladies, he has called you. He's called you as well to respect that husband. Husbands, to love your wives because your reward hinges on how you treat your spouse. And we'll all give an answer We'll all give an answer, how we've treated this gift that God has given us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, Father. There's not one perfect marriage here before your sight. Yet you love our marriages They are deeply spiritual. They're deeply symbolic, and they matter to you. Our marriages have the potential to hurt and even ruin our lives. Our marriages have the ability to help make us holy, happy. develop and make something beautiful and wonderful in your sight so God I pray that in our lives in this relationship that we have that we'll let your Holy Spirit work work right now there's some right now you need to repent you need to repent of the way you've treated your spouse. God loves you. He's long-suffering, and he shows grace, and he'll forgive and restore anyone who comes before him humbly, but pride is ruining your marriage. You're holding on so tight that you're strangling yourself. So Lord, I pray in a special way. I just want to give everyone a moment. Just how's the Holy Spirit working right now? Is the Holy Spirit leading you to repent of the way you've treated your husband? the Holy Spirit leading you husbands right now to repent of the way that you've acted in an unloving way to your wife and maybe even your children the answer is not to run from it the answer is to submit to the Lord in it to see and experience the grace and the mercy that He shows Maybe you're here and you're still waiting. You're waiting for that person for that God wants to bring into your life. You want to be married. Maybe you're widowed. Maybe you're divorced. What is God showing you? Maybe he's prepping you right now. He's prepping you so you can be the right kind of spouse for that future somebody. Maybe you're single, maybe you're dating. Marriage isn't easy, but it's worth it. It's something beautiful. It's something wonderful. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy for our marriages. Lead us, guide us. May we be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.